Hello and welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror's crime podcast. I'm crime and defence editor Michael O'Toole and joining me today is our crime correspondent Paul Healy. Hello Paul. Hello Mick. So we, we sort of changed chairs yesterday and the day before. I was at the trial of Joseph Puska and you were uh, back at base, shall we say, but we, we swapped seats. So you were at the trial today and I'm back at home. Yes, uh, and now I'm here sitting in my car at the at the side of the road, <laughs> like you were yesterday. It's a, an interesting new format for our pods. It is. So let, let's get into what we call in journalism the anchor paragraph, which is a very important paragraph that we have to get through. So we're at the trial of Joseph Poska, who is 33 and a Slovakian national with an address at Lenani Grove in Mokla in County Offaly. And he is currently on trial for the murder of Aisling Murphy. Miss Murphy, who was 23, died after she was assaulted on the Grand Canal Way at Capincur, Tullamore, on the 12th of January last year. The Mr. Puska denies the charge. He is on trial at the Central Criminal Court in front of Mr. Justice Tony Hunt and a jury of three men, three women and nine women, men, sorry. Now, this is the third day. We're calling it day three. It's actually the second day of evidence. The first day was the arraignment of Mr. Puska and the jury selection. And as you know, Mr. Puska denied when the arraignment was put to him, he denied the murder of Eisling Murphy. So uh, we're going to get into the trial, uh, what happened today, but just a couple of things. Firstly, uh, as Paul said yesterday, we are going to be talking about some uh, adult and sensitive issues, I suppose. So just a small trigger or content warning about that. And the other piece of housekeeping, just thanks to one of our listeners who corrected me on a on an error I made yesterday, and I just want to correct this. I said that Miss Murphy was a teacher at Duro National School in County Leash. Now, obviously, there is a Duro in County Leash, but the, the listener kindly pointed out that Miss Murphy taught at Duro in Offaly. And I should have known that because I can remember being at Miss Murphy, Murphy's school after the death. So thanks very much for our listener for contacting me about that. We really do appreciate the feedback and we're not precious at all. Mistakes happen, but we, we do appreciate people contacting us via DM or public or whatever, just keeping us honest, shall we say. So thanks very much for the listener. So, Paul, today uh, I understand from your fantastic tweets, I was following them avidly, that there were eight witnesses who gave evidence today in the trial of Mr. Puska. Yes, multiple witnesses today, um, starting with Detective Sergeant Paul Curran. Um, so he was attached to the, the photographic section there of Angarda Siakana. And then we went into, uh, <clears throat> which we'll speak about in more detail in a minute, uh, several witnesses who were walking or in the area around the Grand Canal there in Tullamore in Offaly um, on the day um, that Miss Murphy was killed. Yes, and they will, will, and as we'll go through them in a moment, they give direct evidence of seeing certain things and reacting in certain ways. But just, I, I do think it's important that we, we do mention, however briefly, every witness. So we'll talk about Paul Kern very briefly. He, as you say, he's a detective sergeant, I think in the ballistic section of Angarda Shikana, and he was there taking photographs of the scene after the death of Miss Murphy on the 12th of January last year. Yes, indeed. And look, this is a difficult one to describe as such because it is what it is. Uh, the detective ser- sergeant was going through a number of photographs that he had taken um, of the scene uh, in, um, day of day and day after um, there in Tullamore. And basically he was describing, you know, we didn't see the photographs, but he the jury sees the photographs. But he was describing uh, when asked by the prosecution, you know, what he was taking a photograph of. And there's mention of a, a blue tent uh, which is the crime scene tent 
um, and then just various angles of the scene up and down the canal there um, near the bridge, which is where this happened uh, in Cap and Kerr. Um, and he was basically just describing the, the the layout of the land. There's thick brambles there and um, you can see the canal and the hedging and uh, just giving you kind of a general sense of what the scene was. And I also understand from your tweets, Paul, that they used a drone to take pictures or video as well. Yes, there was mention of drone uh, photographs as well. So photos from above, photos of uh, from every angle uh, of this scene and, and its vicinity. Okay, so he wasn't on the, sta- the stand for very long, but I think the, the, the next witness after Detective Sergeant Curran was on for quite a while, and that was a lady called Jenna Stack. Yes, now Miss Stack's evidence went on for some time, um, and there's there's a lot of detail in it because Miss Stack is a is a is a witness in this case who who. who uh, well, she witnessed a lot, so she she had a lot of evidence to give. So uh, Miss Stack was uh, uh, is a primary school teacher. She she's a primary school teacher in the Mukla area, and she told the court that she was basically on the morning of, uh, sorry, on the afternoon of uh, the the twelfth of January, twenty twenty two, going out for a run. Uh, she decided to meet her friend Eva. Uh, to go out for a, a seven kilometre run there, uh, which is not easy for, for <laughs> in my opinion, but they, they described it as a as a as a you know a short run, uh, but a, you know tough going run, a seven kilometre run there up and down the canal uh, towards Capincur. Uh, so they planned to meet at, at ten past three, and and uh, according to her to her watch, uh, she had it set for the run at a quarter past three there in the afternoon, and the two of them set about on their run uh, down the canal. And she she says from your tweets and the evidence that there was something that caught her eye first of all. Yes, so the first thing that, that, that caught her eye, uh, as she explained to the court, was a luminous green bike. So she saw this, this luminous green bike pushed down in the the hedgerow, basically, and she thought that it looked uh, it looked very unusual. She thought it was a nice bike and it was strange that someone would leave uh, such a nice bike there. Um, the quote from her I have here, she said, Jesus, that's that Aoife, that's a really nice bike. I wonder what it's doing there. Um, but they continued on their run after that. It didn't uh, startle them as such to the point where they stopped at that point. Yeah, and then uh, I believe her friend Aoife Marion, who's going to give evidence, you'll be, be talking about her in a while, but uh, Miss Marion stepped forward when they heard a bit of rustling in the undergrowth beside the bike. Yeah, so uh, as Miss Stack explained, they heard this rustling in the hedgerow. She described it as quite distinctive. Um, and so they, they moved to have a, a closer look herself and, and Aoife. They, and, and she said that, it, look, it wasn't like an animal. It was quite distinct. It was loud. Um, it was like somebody was struggling, to be honest, she said. Um, and she thought, you know, the, I suppose naturally the assumption, you see the bikes, they, they, they said they, they thought at that point uh, that someone had fallen off the bike and gone into the brambles. Um, so uh, Miss Stack then described what she saw. So she went and she had a look in. And she told the court that she could see the back of a jacket, um, a, a navy kind of bomber type jacket, padded jacket. Um, and she shouted in something to the effect of, are you OK, uh, to the man. She could only see the back of him, as she said. And then this person turned around and she said she could see his face, uh, couldn't see his hands, but she said he was holding someone down. Uh, he turned around and I said, what are you doing? And at that point, he spoke to me and he said, get away. She said this man's teeth were gritted uh, and he had a kind of a facial expression that was quite terrifying, she said. Um, she was asked then um, 
by the prosecuting counsel, uh, Miss Anne-Marie Lawler, just to kind of give a description of the man that she saw. And she said that he had stubble on his face, appeared to have a receding hairline, uh, or as though he had shaved his head. And that he, he, she remembered his eyebrows were quite distinct, she said. Um, Sorry, and, and then I, I think her next evidence would be that she could see what she said she saw a woman underneath uh, underneath the man. I think that was the, the word she used. Yes, uh, she could see a woman lying down underneath him and he appeared to be on top of her. He said he was crouched over her, uh, holding her down. His uh, his face, his face, his teeth were kind of grinding as uh, he shouted, get away to her. Um, but she could clearly see a second person underneath. She saw um, her thighs, she said. Um, and, and she would go on to tell the court that she could see this lady who, who the court accepts was, of course, Ashling Murphy. She could see her legs kicking. Uh, in a scissors-like motion, um, and and she appeared to be struggling. She said, and 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 that word she did use the word scissors, which would convey sort of activity, very very actively trying to move from the scene where she was. Yeah. So she said, I just have the quote here. She said her legs. She was kicking so hard. She was crying out for help. She was kicking like a scissors. She was moving with whatever part of her body that she could. Um. At that point, when I saw what was happening, I thought, this guy is going to rape her, to be honest. I said to him, I have my phone with me. I'm calling the guards. Get off her. Uh, now, Miss Stack gave evidence in court that she actually didn't have her phone on her at this point in time. So she told the man this in the hope that it would in some way startle him. Uh, but she didn't have a phone on us. She then said that this man lunged. He kind of lunged as if to frighten us. Um, and... She said the whole incident lasted about 30 seconds and they just ran as fast as they could to get help. Um, and they they ran in the opposite direction towards the bridge. So I, I just I understand that she would have come across a man in a high-vis jacket. It was the first person that she came in contact with, but it, it, there wasn't a very fast reaction from that man. So then she went and she, I think, did she go to a house? Was it the house next door? Did she meet two other men? Yeah, so they, they had an interaction with two men at the bridge in which they asked for help. We'll come back to that because there were evidence from both of those men. Um, and they they looked for help. They tried to contact the guards. Uh, they were unable to do so. So they herself and Aoife both split. Uh, and she, she went to a house of um, someone that she knew, uh, a, a relative of a relative. And Aoife went to another house. Aoife was actually the one uh, that managed to, to dial 999, I believe, first uh, and get onto the guards. So she went to... Uh, to a, a friend's house, essentially, uh, nearby. And I, now I understand that then uh, Michael Bowman, senior counsel for Mr. Puska, started cross-examining her. And I think he accepted or he said that the man that she saw, that she was speaking to, was Mr. Puska himself. But I think it's interesting that she he, claim, he says that in evidence, or he said to uh, Miss Stack that Mr. Puska was not being aggressive, but was in pain, having cut himself. Yes. Now, you know, I've become limited as to how I can describe this moment in court, but I just want to explain that um, I was in the overflow court for this, uh, and uh, you know, you're you're taking notes as much as you can. Um, he, uh, Mr. Bowman, was going through the cross examination quite procedurally, but when it came to this point, uh, I suppose we can just say that it is interesting that he got into. Um, I suppose effectively, you know, and he is there to defend his clients, it's not a shock, but he, he got into, I suppose, what is his client's defence in this case. Um, so we heard this information for the first time in that he says that it, that it is his 
client's position, uh, Mr. Puska, that is, that, that, that it was him on, on top of Ashling Murphy, uh, but that at this point in time he was endeavouring to find out what had happened and that he was, quote, trying to assist Miss Murphy uh, at that point in time. Uh, he put that to Miss Stack, that, could that be a possibility? And Miss Stack said something to the effect of, well, no, she didn't think so, and if that were the case, he could have asked us for help. Because she points out that this man was aggressive towards her and told her to get away and that she was frightened of him. Um, and she had asked him to call, or sorry, she had said to him that she was going to call the guards. Now, Mr. Bowman said his client, as limited as his English may be, if he heard the word police or if he heard the word guard, he would know what that means. Um, so, And he has no recollection of that. Um, but Miss Stack was insistent that this is how she remembers events um, and it wasn't the impression that she got. She did say she was going to call the guards um, and that the events transpired as she said they were. Now, Mr. Bowman also said that his client's position, Mr. Puska's position, is that Miss Murphy was moving at this point in time, but not in the manner that Miss Stack had described, which was kicking her legs like a scissors. Um, so, look, Miss Stack insisted she just said that is the way she saw things. And I also understand that Mr. Bowman would have argued that Mr. Puska, his position is he was trying to staunch the bleeding from uh, Miss Murphy's neck. We know that she received 11 uh, cut stab wounds to the neck. So I think that was put to the client, but was was put to Miss Stack. Yes, it was put to Miss Stack that Mr. Puska's position is that he had his forearm on Miss Murphy and that he was trying to stop the bleeding uh, from her neck. Um and he said to Miss Stack, Mr. Bowman, that is, you didn't see that. And she said, no. Um, she said that the only part that she saw was was that he was on top of her. Uh, and that, you know, she had earlier said, she was challenged on the fact that she had earlier said that, that he was holding Miss Murphy down. Well, Mr. Bowman said, with due respect, you can't say that Mr. Puska was holding Miss Murphy down because she acknowledged, she had earlier acknowledged and in her statement acknowledged that she never saw Mr. P- Mr. Puska's hands. So uh, Mr. Bowman's position is you can't say what he was doing with his hands because you at no stage saw his hands. So I, I, I think that was the end of the cross-examination, but as is allowed, Anne-Marie Lawler, senior counsel, came back in and it was just what we were talking about earlier about the word scissors. Uh, basically, I think Miss Lawler asked if she made any mistake in her description of the le- of Miss Murphy's legs kicking. Yes, and and Miss Tack said that she did not. That, that 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 was her evidence. That is her recollection of the events. So we had a break then, uh, and we came back at at two o'clock. And of course, we then had to hear from the other woman, um, who was with Miss Tack, and that was Eva Marin. Yes, Eva Marin, and she would be she would be, she would have been a friend of Miss Tack, and as you say, they were out jogging together. Um, so she was. Uh, I think the the. She said that she would have been jogging along and she would have heard these noises that she thought were strange. Yeah, she she gave a similar version of events in that she heard a noise, that she saw the bike, uh, that they went for their run just before a quarter past three. Um, now, in her uh, recollection of things, she did not see Miss Murphy. She didn't see a woman. She saw the back of a man's head. And from her recollection, she asked this man, are you okay? And the man said, okay, okay. Um, she then recalls uh, Miss Stack going in, as she said she did, and having the interaction with the man in which she said, I'm going to call the guards. And it was then that, that um, 
that Miss Marin said she became frightened, she became terrified um, that something was really seriously wrong and she began to run. They both began to run uh, because they were scared and she actually said that she thought that this man was chasing them and she was looking behind her the whole time thinking that this man was pursuing them uh, as they were running. And after that, she met another witness we'll hear from called Enda Malloy. But then she ran to try and get access to a phone to call 999, basically. Yeah, so she, she went to the home of a, of a Tommy Martin um, and she, she said, I was trying to tell them where I was. Sorry, she, she, went to the phone, the, she went to the home of Tommy Martin. She called 999 and she said to the guards, I was trying to tell them where I was and that I thought there was a girl being raped. Um, so then she saw Jenna back in the, in the yard when she came out. Um, and she also just clarified something in relation to what Jenna had told her, because Jenna was the person who told her, uh, that is Miss Stack, that she saw a woman. She thought she was being raped. Uh, she said she saw her legs in the air. So um, Miss uh, Marin was later challenged by that, uh, by the defence, by um, Mr. Bowman. You know, did you see a woman? No. Um, and did you question your friend's version of events? Um it was pointed out to her just in the book of evidence and statements uh, that there will be another witness uh, who said that she saw a conversation in which uh, it's alleged basically that that Miss um, Marin asked Miss Stack, uh, "Is that what you saw?" Basically questioning what she saw when she looked into the brambles, um, and Miss Marin says she can't recall that exact conversation. So I think the exact phrase uh, is, I don't know how you saw, seen that. And she said she can't recall saying that. Yeah, she she can't recall saying that at all. Um, just in relation to the, the, you know, they met two men on the bridge. They were two workers from Waterways, Ireland. And um, they gave their evidence and there's different uh, kind of versions of, uh, you know, how the conversation went down. But effectively, the two women said uh, to these men uh, that they had seen a man on top of a woman uh, they thought that she was being raped or attacked and they were basically appealing to these two men to get down there and do something and um it, it was the gentleman on the bike um who was able to get down to the scene first and uh apart from miss stack then he would have been the second person to see the body of ashling murphy Okay, and and so the, the the person on the bike, I think, was the next witness, and that's a man called Enda Malloy. So he said he was cycling along, and then he met another man on a bike who I think is a Polish gentleman who also gave evidence today. And they were going, they they were. Uh, he said he was cycling towards Digby Bridge, which is the bridge just on the canal. And uh, as he was doing that, he met the two runners. He said Eva Marin, whom he knew, and Jenna Stack, who obviously gave evidence. Um, and they and he could see that they were ta- that they, those two were talking with two men, and there seemed to be an exchange. Yes, he 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 basically saw the conversation that happened on the bridge, and he saw that he he described the conversation as animated, um, and you know there was something different, there was something up, um, and he he could see that the two women were distressed, and that the that they they had said something like, "Did you not see the man?" Um, they had described uh, a man with his hand on a girl's mouth. And I think on her throat is what he said. Um, and so he then cycled back as fast as he could to to where uh, the women said this bike was. And he went in there. Um, and as I So said, that was at a sort of, sorry, that was just at a, he stopped at a ditch, basically. He said he stopped at a ditch. That was where the, the, the indication had been given to him that there had been an issue happening. 
Yes. Uh, so, so Mr. Malloy said he, he saw something green. He was describing the bike, the luminous green bike. He said he started looking around and he said, I eventually saw Ashling in the ditch. Um, it was just said to him, um, you know, you didn't know Ashling Murphy at this point in time. He said, no, I didn't. It is accepted by the court that that, of course, was the body of Miss Murphy. Um, but nonetheless, he saw the body of a woman identified later as being Miss Murphy. And he said she was lying in the ditch in the undergrowth. Uh, he was asked to describe in detail what way she was lying, and he said she was lying on her back, um, face up. Um, but he couldn't see her face. He said her hair was long, and it was covering uh, her face. Her face seemed to be turning, uh, turned in the direction of um, Tullamore, he said. Um, and uh, he, he just basically got onto the Gardaí then um, after that. Okay, and... Um... Mr. Bowman asked the witness if, to the best of his knowledge, was there any sign of life on Miss Murphy? Yeah, and he, he said there didn't appear to be any signs of life. Now, he, he didn't touch the body. He didn't go near uh, Miss Murphy at all. He just got onto the guards. But he, he, he had shouted out to her, had called out to her, and he got no response. OK, so that was that witness. So the next witness was the other cyclist, I believe, Janusz Wilka, who is a Polish national. And there was an interpreter used for Mr. Wilco, I believe, was there? Yes, there was an interpreter for, for Mr. Wilco. Um, and, and basically, he, he gave his version of events, how, how he met Mr. Malloy. And he went down and he also looked in and could see uh, the, the body of Miss Murphy. Um, in his case, he said he saw a human leg. That's the way he described it. Um he also described the conversation at Digby's Bridge and how the women appeared to be distressed. So he backed up that particular version of events. And he did. And I think one of the first things he said he saw would have been the, the, the bicycle lying on the ground. And that was lying as if it had been abandoned, he said, before he found Miss Murphy's body. Yes, he, he described the, the, the bike, the green luminous bike lying there. Um, and, he, you know, he he described the discussion that he had with Mr. Malloy. And we then we then got on to Charlie Kelly. He was one of the two Waterways Ireland workers and he was saying uh, he was initially asked about a, a description that he gave to the guards. Mm. He saw a man fitting the description so it was pointed out to the court that there was an appeal put out by the guards uh, for a man and he said that he saw a man fitting that description. So he was working uh, there on the canal that day and he said he saw a man on a, a black bicycle with a large jacket at Digby's Bridge. He had a dark jacket, tracksuit bottoms, very distinctive, with a white band down the leg and he said they were Tommy Hilfiger. Um, so he, we went into that and then he described what he did after lunch, which was he got back to kind of power washing, which was what he was doing that day. Um, when the two women came up to him, he said they were very distressed. Uh, they were asking for help. And they said that a woman was being attacked. A man was on top of her and they asked him to call the guards. And he then saw a man on a bike, we understand to be Mr. Malloy, and asked him to get down there because he'd get there quicker. And they legged it down then after him. But he got to the scene himself and he saw the bicycle again. So obviously the bicycle is a fixture there that most witnesses who would have gone there, would have they would have seen the bicycle. Yes, uh, and indeed he also saw the body of Miss Murphy. He said that she was in what appeared to be like a GAA tracksuit, club colours, dark navy and blue. She was facing up, her head was facing towards Tullamore and her face was covered by her hair. Um, he said that one of her legs was kind of suspended on a tree stump and um, he said, I knew she was dead. There was very little colour in her hands and she was snow white. 
And under cross-examination uh, by the defence, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bowman, senior counsel, asked him, is it fair to say that what the girl said to him was alarming? Yes, and he agreed that it was alarming and, uh, you know, they appeared to be in, in distress uh, in relation to it. He also just, he was asked to go into detail about describing Miss Murphy's leg elevated. He said it was elevated to a 45 degree angle. Um, and as far as she he was concerned, she had passed away at that stage. And I, I think that was the, the, the thrust of his evidence, really, was it? Yeah, and, and his, uh, his colleague then, Colin Petit, also gave evidence, uh, a very similar sort of evidence. He also he also described a, a hat, a pink hat and a glove on the tarmac and the bike thrown to the one side. And he looked into the bramble and could see Ashling's body um, and her hair over her face and, and just confirmed that neither he nor his colleague at any point uh, touched Miss Murphy. So his evidence is very similar. Obviously, Mr. Kelly would have been with him. So it's very, very similar. But then I I think, so that was witness number seven, if my notes are correct. So the the final witness was a lady called Daisy Gowing. And I understand she she was living in Tullamore and was out for a walk with her daughter on the day of the 12th of January last year. Yes. Now, now Miss Gowing was just giving evidence in relation to she saw a man on a bike. I, I, I suppose this again fitting a description of a man on a luminous green bike, and she described him as being foreign. Uh, she was asked, "How did you deduce he was foreign?" She said she felt he was Eastern European. She basically just described he wasn't particularly large. He was average size. He looked to be in his mid to late thirties, um, and she said he was white but not snow white. And she gave a statement to the guards on the 18th of January in relation to that. And, and Mr. Bowman just asked her, you know, um, would you have heard about a foreign person on a bike? And she said she might have heard something in the days prior to her making her statement. She said she might have heard something about that on the news. So that, okay. that, that effectively was all of our witnesses today in the case. And um, we don't do any commentary. So it's this is a contemporaneous, effectively a contemporaneous court report along court report and we, we do think it is important that we talk about every witness you know if they have a, a, a lot of evidence or a small amount of evidence which is why you mentioned Detective Sergeant Paul Curran at the start and uh, Miss Gowing there so that was us for today I think we're back tomorrow are we? Yeah we're back tomorrow Um, I just want to say you know and I suppose that there, there's plenty to take away from today but it is significant to note this and just want to point out that you know a, a key piece of evidence that we heard today for the first time uh, is an indication of the defence's position in this case which is that uh, Mr Puska claims um, that he was trying endeavouring to find out what the situation was and that he was assisting Miss Murphy at the time that's the first time we've heard that um i suppose we probably will hear more about that uh, as the trial continues so there'll be more witnesses tomorrow this trial is go- going to go on for five possibly six weeks um so there's plenty more to come okay and we'll keep you updated we'll be doing as as many pods as we possibly can i think uh, as i said i was there the first two days i think you're going to be there tomorrow paul and i'll probably be back on friday and we'll see how we get on But uh, thanks, Paul. I really enjoyed your tweets. It was uh, very, very comprehensive. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll, we'll hopefully see you again tomorrow. Thank you.